Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in Philippians chapter 2 today. If the church isn't growing in our world today, and the statistics definitely are in that the church, not this building, I mean the church, the church is not growing, then maybe it's because people see something that isn't his church Because I believe that if people saw the church of Christ as it was meant to be seen by God, then I think that the church would grow. Uh, It's absolutely true that some people would look at the church and say, I don't want anything to do with that. But I think that most people in our world know deep down that what they're doing isn't working. I think that most people deep down know that their life is not the way that it could be or should be, that there is a better way to live. They don't know what that is and how to find it, but the world is not a good place, and I think most people, and you know what I mean by that, our society, that the world is not a good place, that things are out of control, that the world is full of, of bad things and evil, and their own lives are not going the way that they want them to go. And I think that if the church looked as the church of Christ should look, I think people on the outside would say, I want what those people have. But the reason the church isn't growing is because too many of us don't look like what we should look like. They they look and say, I don't see that these people are any better off than we are. The church would grow because people would see what they needed. But I think that, let me be blunt, and this is kind of a I don't have fingers pointed at anybody other than at me, necessarily. I think, that, I think that when people look, they don't see Christ all the time in our lives. I think that too often we are too worldly, that we don't always prioritize being Christ-like. Not enough Christians look like Christ. Now, we're not talking about being perfect. Okay, none of us are perfect. I get that. We come to church because we're not perfect. All of us are here because if we could be perfect without the church, we wouldn't need to come. I, I, I get that. I do. The, the, but, but we are talking about putting forth some effort towards holiness and Christ-like living. The goal of the Christian isn't to make money or to be successful or to be powerful. The goal of the Christian is to be like Jesus, Christ. And this goal must come before all others. We are Christians when we are Christ-like. That's the very definition of of what it means to be a Christian. And when we soft-pedal that and sing the song um, Just As I Am (laughs) and stop at the end of the first verse, and we don't get to that second verse of and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. When we say God loves us just as we are, we don't need to change, we have missed the Christian message. Paul talks about what it means to imitate Christ in his letter to the Philippians. He talks about the benefits of being a Christian and the responsibilities of acting like Jesus. 
But most of all, he talks about the example that Jesus sets for us. And we can't ignore that. It's an example because we are called to be like him. The goal of the Christian is to be more and more every day, week, month, year, like Christ. Or this is a waste of time. And we could go home. If our goal is not to be like Jesus, I think church becomes a bit of a waste of time. I think maybe it's entertaining, but I suspect that there are better forms of entertainment. Until we understand the importance of being like Jesus always, we've missed the point. And so with that in mind, Philippians chapter 2, and starting with the first verse, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and let's just stop right there. Let's not even finish the sentence because that's a lot to unpack just in that first sentence about if, 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 if. These are the benefits you have from being a Christian. If you have any of these benefits from being a Christian, and he's going to build from there, but let's talk about these benefits. About uh, of being a Christian. Why should I be a Christian, some people are going to say. I, I lose all the fun in this. Look at all these fun things that, that the Bible says are sin. I lose out on those. But Paul here reminds us of what the benefits are of being a Christian. Now, Everybody that knows me knows I love my Greek grammar, my participles. And, and, and in this case, the Greek language is incredibly rich. And one of the things that I find really fun is that there are four different ways, minimally, of expressing the word if due to uh, condition, what, what are called conditional sentences. First, second, third, fourth class conditional sentences. Um, and we don't have this in English, and I wish that we did but because it, it is a lot of fun. But which word for if you use in Greek is is pregnant with meaning. This is first class conditional sentence. This is the, it, frankly, I I would almost not even use the word if. This is if you have these benefits from being a Christian, and let's assume for the sake of argument that you do. All of that is included in that word if. This is if with assumed reality. That's a fancy way of saying I would just translate this with the word since. Since you have these benefits from being a Christian. That would be a perfectly acceptable translation. Since you have these benefits from being a Christian. And it's a complicated sentence, but that's what, it, that's what it means. We do have encouragement from being united with Christ. We're never alone. We, in our darkest moments, we've, we're still never alone and we know this. I don't know and I don't even like to think about it, I don't know how non-Christians wake up in the morning and muddle through their day alone. I don't get it. And, I, and, I, and I'll be honest, and I don't want to dwell on that. I don't want to think about that because I'm never alone. The Spirit, His Spirit is within me. God is always listening from above, and I know that, and I don't want to think about any other way of living. And I don't know how other people get through life without that. Uh, I'm not on my own. I'm encouraged by being united with Christ. God loves me. And this is not the imperfect love that you or I or humanity gives. Our love is imperfect. Christ's love is always there. It's always forgiving. Always forgiving. We talked about that in my Sunday school class. It's always forgiving. He always forgives us. He loves us. The, the only thing, I mean... 
He lets us walk away. He doesn't hold us so tight that we can't leave him. If we say, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, he lets us walk away. But other than that, every, you know, how many times is God going to forgive us? Well, Jesus told Peter 490 times, right? So minimally that. I'm presuming God forgives better than I forgive, and I'm told I need to forgive minimally 490 times when someone does me something wrong. The point being, lose track. God's forgiveness, is, is, is His love is perfect. It's always there. Humanity, we're so conditional with love. You know that old statement, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We're limited in our forgiveness. But God is not limited in that. Christ loves me. In spite of all the things I've done in my life, I don't know that I would love me in spite of all the things I've done in my life, but God always loves me. And when I became a Christian, I gained fellowship with him through his Holy Spirit. His Spirit lives within me. Now, Peter assures me that the day that I became, the day that I was baptized into Christ, is the day that I received his Holy Spirit. We read that in we read that in Acts, we read that in, in multiple times in Acts, we read that in Peter and in Paul. And I'm a different person because I listen when his spirit prompts me towards holiness. And because I'm a different person, I gain a tenderness and a compassion towards the world that I wouldn't have otherwise. I, I start to see, and I struggle with this, it's not perfect, but I start to see that everybody is made in the image of God and that God loves every body. He, that doesn't mean he approves of everything. I mean, that's important. He doesn't approve of everything that everybody does. He doesn't approve of everything that I do. When I'm wrong, he, I'm wrong. But he loves me, and, and, and he loves everybody, and he wants everybody to come to him. And I can, I can love better, and I can be a better person. Not, not on my own power, not because somehow I've earned the right to be a better person, but because God is better in me. <laughs> because I am better when his spirit is within me, and because of him I can care for others in ways that I would not be able to care for others otherwise. Being a Christian is a rich life. It's a better life than I would have on my own without him. And if people out there could see that, if I acted Christ-like and people could see that, then I think that they would say, I want what Jason has. And when I get that right, I've had that happen. I've had friends that have said, I, I wish I had what you had. Unfortunately, of course, I'm imperfect, and I don't, know, but I don't always get that right. But it spurs me to keep trying, to keep trying to live a Christ-like life, to be open. And again, it's not by my efforts, so I say that by trying, it's me being open to the Spirit transforming me. Think of what you were, Paul told the Corinthians. And now think about what you have. Because of what God has given us, we have a better life even in this world. That's before we get to heaven. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is the church. And being a part of a church is a transformed and better life than we would have otherwise. There are benefits to being a Christian. Okay, so let's, let's finish that sentence, right? Let's... Philippians, let's start at the beginning of, of verse 1 again. If you have any encouragement from being, since, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any com comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and you do, 
then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. There is, so, so if there are benefits to being a Christian, there are responsibilities for being a Christian. Our Christian faith is a paradox. There are things that we learn to be content with, and there are things that we dare not be content with. We learn contentment with our surroundings. I would say the last two years have put this to the test. With everything kind of falling apart around us, we have learned, hopefully, that we manage through a pandemic and, a, and, and an economy that it could, could be better, and certainly there's not peace. There, there's war in Eastern Europe, and, and we have no control over these things. And while everybody else can be completely, and I, and I don't want to make light of these. These are terrible things. We know this. But while the rest of the world is stressed out about these things that none of us have control over, we, the Christians, say it's in God's hands, and we'll just, we leave it there because we can't do it, but it is his world. We can learn to be content in adverse situations, but what we're not content about is sin in our lives. We want to get rid of that. Those are the things that should, that should make us feel that there's more that can be done, that, that, that we don't want to rest on our laurels and say, well, I, I, accepted, I accepted Jesus, I'm good. Instead, what we want is, is a, a change in our own lives. What is so tragic is that so many Christians get this reversed. We're content with sin in our lives, and we're bent out of shape about the things in our world that we have no control over. Too many Christians think that becoming a Christian is getting high fives from Jesus. Too many Christians uh, is, uh, feel that, that uh, it's about Jesus accepting them just as I am and not changing. And that's not what the Christian message is. The reality is that when we become a Christian, we have a responsibility to act like it. Now hang on, Jason. Somebody's going to say, I just became a Christian to go to heaven. I don't want to change. I don't want to change all the things in my life. I like parts of my life. And the truth is that the ones who go to heaven are the ones who act like Jesus, who are Christ-like. Again, that's what it means to be a Christian. Those who, are, who, are, who act like Jesus. All of us are called to be Christ-like. Not, not just preachers, not just elders, not just teachers. We're all called to be ministers. I, I think if we're not careful, there can be a serious misunderstanding of this passage and who it applies to. It's very easy, and we see it all the time, people will take the words of Jesus or the words of Peter or the words of Paul and say, this applies to those people but not me. Oftentimes, that gets thrown towards preachers. Uh, we, we've got to get past the idea that there are two classes of people. That 
that the New Testament doesn't apply to all of us. We're not all called to be preachers. We're all called to be ministers. We minister in different ways. Ministry is not preaching. Ministry means to meet the needs of people. We're all called to do that. Whether that's in, we we did common ground yesterday, whether that's in, in feeding people in need, whether that's in cleaning the church, whether that's in mowing the yard, whether that's in teaching Sunday school, whether that's in preparing communion. Doesn't doesn't take even a high school degree to prepare communion, but it's a ministry in this church that we need. Whether that's in nursery, uh, we, we, we need that. We, we, these are ministries that we need. And, and all of these words apply equally to all forms of ministry, not just the guy behind the pulpit or the elders in an elders meeting. We are called to work together in ministry as a team, being like-minded, having the same attitude in some translations, the same purpose. Actually, the funny thing in that verse, the phrase like-minded and one in purpose, it's funny that we translate that that way. They're the same word. That being like-minded, one in purpose, is, is the same word in the Greek language. We are united. It's not the same thoughts, but we have one spirit. And it's not our spirit. If we, if, if, we all, if we all kept to our own spirit, we would all do our own things. But we have the spirit of Christ. And so we are united together as a church. Now this, this really, and, and it's a spirit of humility. And this really follows on First Timothy, the quality of the character of a minister, the integrity of lifestyle. And we ask ourselves, who are we? When we give our life to Christ, we're always giving it back. It is, Fred Craddock said, it is as if having a life worth a thousand dollars that when we become a Christian, there is this idea that we give our thousand dollars to God, and Fred Craddock says we give it to Him in quarters, one a day. And I like and I like that. As a Christian, we are giving our life to Christ, but it wasn't a one-time event. It's every day. We give a little bit more throughout the rest of our life. Okay, so let's keep reading. Philippians chapter two, verse five. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is an example for Christians. And that example is Jesus himself. As Christians, we've got to mature. We've got to grow up. It is not about going to heaven. That's actually not what, I mean, when we first become Christians, that's kind of that little thing that we're taught. And that's part of the faith. But what an immature, small part of the faith that it's just about going to heaven. It's not about having our prayers answered, treating God like a cosmic Santa Claus. It's about being with, it's not about going to heaven, it's about living with God. It's not about getting our prayers answered. It's about worshiping the Creator. And it's not about being forgiven for, for continually sinning and that God, his job is to forgive me. But it's 
about transformation into being like Jesus. Do we want to be Christ-like, or do we only just want to stay out of hell? This, what we just read, is probably an early Christian hymn that the church sang in the days of Paul, that Paul quotes from, and it points out one of the major themes uh, of our faith, that Christ was the most humble man on earth that ever lived. The one person that didn't need to be humble, right? The one person who was perfect, who, I mean, yeah, he was just he, the best human being, better than best, because he was God on earth. The one person that had no need to be humble made himself nothing on earth. He didn't need to grasp, to exploit, to use his equality with God for any kind of advantage on earth. He should have come as a conquering king. Human, human logic would have said that he came as a conquering king and forced everybody to believe him, to make the world a better place by taking it over, but instead he was an infant in a manger. Jesus came showing humility for our sake. He taught us how we are to live among others. Had he been an arrogant king, and we all wanted, and and if we all wanted to be Christ-like, had he been an arrogant king, and we wanted to be like him, then we would all be arrogant kings. And where would we be? What a nightmare! If we all felt that we had to have our way, the way that Jesus had to have his way. Instead, Jesus showed us how to live. And to love others, to put them first over ourselves. It's not about getting our way, but about serving God and putting our lives before His, before before put it, putting our life before Him. We put our life in front of Him and give it to Him. It's it's downward mobility. Jesus was as high as you could be, and he came down to earth in a humble form, born in a manger, but then went further down and became a servant, and then became abused and beaten, and then was killed for our sake. He humbled himself so that he could show us that we could be united under God. True humility can only come when our focus is on that, on the grace and the glory of God. God, forgive me, lost my, lost my place in my notes. God hum, Jesus humbled himself so that he could show us what it would be like to be united under God, but God must remain God. That's where humility is. If we all have this God complex, if we're all about putting ourselves first, this becomes a building full of people who think they're the highest priority. What a mess we would have. That doesn't mean that you can't say that you did a job well done. Humility is not false humility. If you were an artist and you paint a good picture, you're allowed to feel that this picture turned out well, that you did a good job on it. If you mow the yard and you think you did a good job with the trim work, and think you're allowed to say that. If you cook a meal and it turns out right, we're not, you don't have to declare that every meal you cook is terrible. But we put it in its proper place. Christ-like humility doesn't mean that we can't be proud of, of doing a job well done 
what it does recognize is that anything that we do is done well by the grace of God in our lives. Anything good is for His glory, and it's not about us and not for us. True humility can only come when our focus is on that, on the grace and the glory of God. Humility serves a purpose. It unites the church under the king who is in charge, and we're not. When the church is humble, the church can accomplish the task of the church and and will bring people to Christ. When the church forgets humility, the church will fall. The church will fail. Um, the church may grow, but the church will still fall when we're not humble. You may, we may grow in numbers, but the point isn't to grow in numbers. The point is to grow in character. Numbers are great. Numbers mean more people are coming to Christ. But the church needs to grow mature in, in maturity. When the church is humble, the church will accomplish that and will bring people to Christ. We put to death self and take on the image of Christ. And then we look like him. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 332. You cannot have the benefits of being a Christian without the responsibilities of being one. The responsibility that we have is to follow the example set before us by Christ himself. And it's all about the choice. Christ offers us his yoke, his cross, his crown. Is that what we want? Because calling yourself a Christian and not acting Christ-like doesn't work. And we may fool ourselves, but we don't fool God. We are called to be like Christ, to imitate him. It's not just about going to heaven, but it's about being Christ-like You're never going to get it perfect, but we never give up trying. We never give up listening to his spirit and allowing him to transform us. It's not supposed to be something stressful. It's supposed to be something, if anything, that relieves our stress as as we draw closer to him through his spirit changing us. How are we doing? If you haven't made a decision to accept Christ as Savior, I want to talk with you after church. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.